Welcome to Grad Talk, a podcast where we highlight interesting research being done by Boise State grad students. I'm Will Palmer, current graduate student in English. And I'm Kinsey Poti, former graduate student in communication. Dude, did we just nail that? Freaking nail it. Holy cow. So welcome to the first episode of Grad Talk. We're excited to get started. And today we're going to have Lindsay Cooper joining us, our executive producer here at Grad Talk. Um, And we are going to be talking with Brian Rosenblatt, who is a graduate student at Boise State University. Welcome, Brian. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So before we kind of get into your research, just tell us a little bit more about you, man. Where are you from? What drew you to Boise initially? Yeah, totally. So I'm from Las Vegas. um, And what initially actually brought me here was the marching band. I've been playing trombone for over half my life. I think it's been 13 years now. And um, the marching band director came down to my school in Las Vegas and personally recruited me. He gave me a out of state fee waiver. And that was ultimately the deciding factor in coming to Boise State. And since I've been here, I've loved it. Um, I did my undergrad here. So I did a full physics degree um, with a applied math minor as an undergrad. And that was ultimately how I ended up staying here for my grad grad degree. That's really cool. And it sounds like you're also really busy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of practice. I used to live by a high school and I hear in practice five hours every summer. Oh yeah, it's a huge time commitment and I mean, ultimately, it's really good. It gave me a lot of great traits for college, lots of time management uh, skills that I had to kind of fine tune. But I don't regret any of it. It was an amazing time. I love the marching band. Yeah, I cool. think that that begs for the the immediate question of why not music as as maybe a degree you pursue um, if if you love marching band, you know, and, and played instrument for so long. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. You know, I've struggled with that myself, but I kind of see music more as a hobby for me. Um, I mean, I think maybe eventually it could become a career, but it's not something stable. It doesn't seem as stable as what I'd like. And I've always been relatively inclined in math and science. um, And I feel like that's a better way for me to make a difference in this world. And I can keep doing music on the side. So I'm still doing, I'm still in the jazz band here at Boise State. I'm still in the symphonic winds. I'm not doing marching band anymore as a grad student, but like I can keep playing on the side and do science. So that's preferred. Right there. Yeah. Sounds super busy. I don't want to take that on. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So if you want to just kind of intro us to kind of what your research was while you're here and while you're getting your master's and totally about that. Yeah, so um, I'm essentially studying the sounds that volcanoes are making. Um, So the specific volcano in question is a volcano called Villarica. It's in uh, Chile. It's like central Chile, Um, but it's one of the southernmost volcanoes in this like string of volcanoes that exist in uh, South America. And it's a really, really interesting volcano. My advisor uh, produced a study in 2015 right after it erupted. Um, And so I'm kind of building off of that previous study that he made. Uh, This volcano, I mean, I can get into a lot of details about this volcano. I'll try to keep it simple for right now. 
um, maybe get a little more complex, but it's essentially, it's like a big cone. It's an open vent volcano. So it, there's constantly things going on. Um, it doesn't erupt very frequently. The last eruption was in 2015 um, when my advisor wrote that paper. But essentially this gigantic volcano, it's like a, it's like a massive subwoofer. I personally like to think of them as like gigantic horns. And so as the lava level inside of this volcano rises and lowers the frequencies that it produces, they also will rise or lower. So it's like a trombone. If I was to take my slide and bring it in, the pitch would go up. And I was, if I was to take my slide and bring it down, the pitch would go down. That same thing happens with volcanoes, except at much, much lower frequencies. So these are frequencies below 20 hertz, below like the sounds that humans can hear. Um, we call them infrasound. And uh, Viarica specifically uh, produces infrasound right at about one hertz, and it wavers up and down a little bit. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to focus on is that specific frequency that it's producing. We, we put a ton of sensors on the top. We had 21 sensors all around this crater, and that's a, a super large number of, of sensors. These, these sensors, they record these super low frequencies. And so I have a, a really, really large data set that I can use to really like look at the frequency that this volcano is producing. Um, and my advisor himself, he correlated a rise in the lava lake level to a rise in the frequency right before the volcano erupted. So that's really, really good for hazard study. Um, so I'm trying to account for slight fluctuations in those frequencies. So maybe the frequency rises by like 0.1 Hertz and then it falls again by like 0.2 Hertz. I'm trying to figure out why exactly that's happening um, on shorter time scales because it's not always the lava lake level moving up and down that's causing that. It can be things such as like the temperature is hotter so sound speed becomes faster and frequency goes up or it could be something like the wind is blowing in a certain direction which also can create a higher frequency. So there's a lot there but I'm essentially just really digging into the frequency that this volcano is producing. Is this something that, I know you studied one specific volcano in Chile, is this something that can be extrapolated to use in all volcanoes? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, there's a few like brands of volcanoes out there, but Viarica is like, it's kind of like a staple volcano. It's, it's a really reliable volcano. It continually produces that one hertz infrasound like constantly. If you look at the record, you can find it in there almost all the time. Um, so it's a great like base mark volcano to use as a reference for other um, open vent volcanoes. So it's it's good in that sense. Um, you can't really use it for extrapolating data to like a closed vent volcano, but um, for all similar volcanoes to Viarica, it's it's a really really reliable volcano. To, uh, to put this in context, I think you did a great job of explaining volcanoes to people who are not volcano experts. <laughs> I would say that we are not. Um, so I guess a two-part question here is, first, do you feel like you find yourself frequently explaining kind of in this plain language? You sent us an awesome abstract that had the technical information and then the plain language, which we appreciated. Um, yeah. Do you find yourself doing that frequently, like explaining your research to people in a way that they can understand, like using an instrument to, under, to explain. Um, so that's the first part of the question. The second is, when you're looking at these differences in data, is that something you're checking every day? Or is that like, is that on a year, 
like scale of how long you're spending time on this research project? Give us a, a timeline. Yeah, yeah. I'll start with your second question. So um, I probably should have made this clear. We were out there from like January 1st to January 12th. So we have about 12 days of data. Um, and so I'm not looking at data that's currently like being produced right now. I, I'm not sure what the volcano is doing at the moment, but we have a, a solid week of data that we're looking at. Um, and so that's, that's the majority of, of where the data is coming from. Um, and then we have friends out there in Southern Chile who keep us updated on what's going on. Um, to address your second, your first question, my rule of thumb is if I explain this to my mom, would she understand? So that's kind of how I try to do it. And I do um, have to explain things in plain language a lot. Um, that, that abstract in the plain language summary that I sent to you, I'm actually preparing for a presentation at AGU. Um, they have a conference this year, it's all virtual. Um, and I submitted all of that stuff um, as uh, an application to present, so. Awesome, well, yeah, we, we definitely appreciate the plain language because <laughs> it's, it's yeah. cool to hear in, I, you know, terms that we can understand the, the neat research that you're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm constantly trying to come up with different like metaphors for, for what I'm doing here to help get the picture across. Because for the most part, when I'm explaining this stuff, I'm, I'm explaining it to people that aren't super familiar, even people in, within my department, the entire geoscience department, it's very vast. There's hydrologists, there's people who are studying rocks, there's just a huge variety of people, not everyone's studying volcanoes. So when I get like particularly specific about a volcano, I, I still have to be generally broad, unless I'm talking to a very few select number of people. The first thing that came to mind when you were talking about it was those people that, that make the sound by like spinning on the rim of a glass and yeah. like the different levels of water in there make different pitches. That's yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but for, so for a volcano, it's not as smooth as that. There's all these ridges. There's all these weird like bumps and stuff. And so that's why it's super important that we have sensors completely covering the crater of this thing. You can think of it like a, a concert, right? So if you're right in the front front and center, like you're going to hear this concert slightly differently than if you're off to the right or if you're in the back. And so with this large number of sensors, we basically captured a full picture of this concert from almost every spot that you could be standing. I feel like you're an ace at the metaphors because I got that <laughs> <laughs> perfectly. That's awesome. Um, I think we, we wanted to ask about do you travel with your research? But I th you think you definitely answer that. And so is, yeah. that, is that the only place that your research has taken you um, thus far? Or have you been other places? No, yeah, I've actually had a lot of travel opportunities. So when I first decided um, to join the grad program, I went to Italy. I went to a volcano. Um, it's a little island northeast of Sicily. It's called Stromboli. Um, and the entire island is a volcano. Um, that volcano, it's like a thousand meters elevation. Um, it, that one's a super complex volcano, but it's also like one of the baseline volcanoes. This, this volcano has been erupting like consistently for over 5,000 years. And there's like really, really old documents of this. Um, they even named one of the types of eruptions that happened, which is like a, a bubble that'll burst and there'll just be some uh, magma lava that'll spew out. It's called a Strombolian style eruption and they named it right after that volcano. 
So that was the first volcano I got to go to um, in Italy. And we also traveled up into Italy and Sicily. And I got to see another volcano called Etna, Mount Etna, but I wasn't able to climb that one. Um, I was also able to go to Alaska this last semester for an infrasound, a volcanic infrasound conference. Um, I wasn't able to see any volcanoes there, but it was a great networking opportunity and Alaska is just a great place. And so those are the three places I've traveled so far, Chile, Alaska, and Italy. It's not too bad in terms of graduate research travels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were supposed to go to Guatemala um, a few weeks ago, but with this whole pandemic going on, that got canceled. So we're hoping to make it out somewhere before I'm gone. So other than kind of just learning more about the sounds and how we can kind of look at volcanoes, what are there any kind of far-reaching applications for this type of research? Um, yeah, in terms of like, so infrasound study, um, is kind of on the up and coming in my view it seems like more and more infrasound studies are happening um so for example i just actually read a paper about this um they set up a bunch of infrasound sensors on these big solar balloons they're like weather balloons and they'll just float up into the atmosphere um hover around and then land and they'll just record all types of infrasound that they're recording um in the sky and that kind of has applications for interplanetary studies. So they might end up moving that somewhere to like Venus in the far future and trying to record volcanoes there or just record the atmospheric infrasound that's happening. Um, but for the most part, like this, the study here is more like a hazard control study. If we were able to accurately predict when a volcano is going to erupt 100% of the time, like that's ultimately the goal. We can save people's lives and whatnot. Um, but it's nowhere near that at the moment. Even the volcanoes that we understand the most right now, they have less than a 50%, um, um, what's it called? Like 50% chance of, of guessing if it's going to erupt or not. So that's ultimately where a lot of this research leads to. Yeah, that would be major useful. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Other than other than music and jazz band and world traveling and writing and applying for conferences, what do you like to do in your free time? Um, in my free time, I don't know. I like to go on walks. I like to rock climb. Um, I've been getting into slacklining recently. I bought my own slackline. Just been doing it in my front yard. Um, stuff like that. I mean, I play video games every once in a while. Um, I don't know. I'm just your average guy, your average Joe. Did you get into climbing when you were back in Vegas or did you get into it? When you I were... actually did not get into climbing too much in Vegas. There seems to be like a really good climbing scene here. Um, I got a membership at a sauna climbing gym and that kind of kicked it off. And I had some good friends here who climbed. So the majority of my climbing has been indoors since I've, I went back to Vegas this summer and some of my friends have picked it up. So we did go climbing. Um, but for the most part, started here in Boise. Well, we uh, I, we certainly don't think you're an average Joe. I don't know how you have time for all those things in, in your day, but it's pretty awesome. Um, we like to end our grad talk sessions with a very, very controversial question. So I hope you're prepared for this, okay? okay. Um, Lindsay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lob it to you to ask the question. It's a big deal, so get uh -oh. ready. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. So how do you pronounce the name of the city that our university is in, essentially? Boise. Sorry, sorry, can you say that one more time? <laughs> Boise. Oh, I think he says, it, he says it correctly. I think he says it correctly, too. <laughs> I thought for sure we were going to get one in my column on that one. So, to, to provide a little backstory, um, I say Boise, even though I'm from Washington originally, because I've been here for 10 years. Uh, Will's from Kentucky, and he says, Will? Boise. He puts a Z in there. Yeah, I mean, that's how it's pronounced to me. <laughs> so we we always have to end with a question to see where where everyone where we're located on different places here, and we come to Boise State and go to grad school. But how do we say Boise? So thank you for answering. You answered correctly in my in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> one zero in the column. I'll give you that one. One. It's, it's one to zero. Perfect. <laughs> and Lindsay's our Lindsay's our neutral party. So. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today and talking about your research and kind of letting us know what you do and sharing that plain language with us. Um, we'd love to have you and, and discuss what's going on here and in Chile and all the cool graduate research that's happening. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Could I make a few shout outs really quick? Of course, definitely. Do your shout outs. Yeah. Yeah, I want to shout out my entire research group, Scott, Jerry, Ashley, Jake, and Jeff. Scott, Jerry, and, and Jake, they work hard all the time they're constantly producing our sensors 3d printing them at the library so thank you guys for for doing all of that for us um jake thanks for being a great mentor to me jeff thanks for being a great mentor and ashley thanks for all the research that we've done together awesome and thanks to all of you guys for having me on here i'm really happy i'm, I'm glad i got to be the first one i'm, I'm honored <laughs> of course thanks for joining all, you're honored we are. <laughs> cool. Yeah, being on, man. Thank you. All right. Well, we will catch you, all you Grad Talk listeners, on the next episode. Thanks. Yeah. See you.